UK Motor Talk. Well, hello everyone and welcome back to a podcast where we witter about cars for the next half an hour, 45 minutes or hour, depending on how long we have been wittering about cars. I'm Mike. I'm Jim. Hello. I'm Graham. Hello. What are we going to talk about this evening? I reckon the Highway Code has got to be one of those contentious issues that has now plagued everyone because everyone's realised that there have been changes and everyone's gone, what? Why would you do that? This is ridiculous. Why would you suddenly allow cyclists to undertake and everything else? Lots of people have said they don't like these changes, kind of missing out the the part where everybody was consulted on the changes and offered the opportunity to give their feedback on the changes. But as we uh, discussed a few episodes ago, the majority of the people who gave their feedback on the changes were a uh, cycling group who'd uh, organised via various means to give positive feedback on the changes, which is... As, the the general consensus of opinion amongst the public is that that it allows cyclists to just do what they like and it's it's the car driver's fault if you hit them regardless of what they're doing uh, i mean there was a there was a story about uh, cyclists cycling through the middle of london in the middle of the road deliberately holding up traffic taking selfies uh, running a red light and just generally acting in in the most arrogant selfish moronic manner he he needs running over to teach him a lesson. It's it's one of those, well, actually, if you run out in front of a car, it's going to hurt you. And I, th- I think we've heard about, you know, school-age kids run, just walking out in front of cars because somebody said, oh, the rule is they have to stop and it's their fault if they hit you. Well, okay, fault is one thing, but if you're the one lying on the ground with a couple of broken legs or a fractured skull or whatever it is, then, well, blame doesn't really matter at that point, does it, if you're left with life-changing injuries? It's it's mm. ridiculous. And, and the way the rules have been laid out and cyclists are, are, are now allowed to undertake a car that's indicating it's turning left and, and if the car hits it, it's the cyclist's fault. And no, the driver's fault. Sorry, yeah, mm. the, the driver's fault if, uh, if the cyclist does something stupid. I, I get that we need to you know protect all road users but it it goes for everyone you know what if if you're driving around and you've got um children in the back of the car uh does that mean that their safety is less important than a cyclist's or if uh if you swerve to avoid a cyclist doing something stupid and have a head-on collision with a car coming the other way is is that better because you're protecting the cyclist no it isn't what 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 happened to just not being dicks to each other is that 2022 is you know you would have thought after the last couple of years we'd have all learned to be a little bit nicer to each other but no chance it doesn't seem to be the case no it absolutely isn't the case but i mean there have been an awful lot of scare stories in all of the newspapers it started weeks and weeks in uh, ago um as soon as the the first uh ideas were were published but as, as Jim quite rightly says it was it was widely consulted upon to road using groups of all sorts not just cycling groups uh, and yes you know some cyclists will have uh, decided to take advantage perhaps of the situation but there are morons in every area of society um, some some yeah. are behind the wheel some are behind a set of handlebars that 
doesn't stop them being moronic and behaving in a in a moronic way. But nevertheless, I I I believe that the changes are generally good ones. Allegedly, seventy five percent of the respondents were from cycling groups. Allegedly, I think that's the contentious issue. And let's be honest, we all have ridden bikes. I I personally don't tend to undertake stuff on a push bike just because I think it's it's far too dangerous. Damn right. Because a lorry's never going to see you before they squash you. And okay, I generally tend to position myself now that in a way that allow motorbikes pass if I can and cyclists to pass if I can. I mean, really, if you, in my opinion, if you want to overtake the traffic and you're on a bike, you should probably overtake the traffic on your bike. But coming up along the inside is just a recipe for disaster. There's another practical problem as well, isn't there? Because, and I didn't realise this until I read it, but guide and assistance dogs are trained not to cross the road until there are no cars at all, so it's safe to do so, which makes complete sense when you think about it. And the dogs don't really quite understand if you've stopped and then flashed them to go. <laughs> so you'd just be constantly standing there and you'd be like, dog? Then the dog's like, car? Yeah, dog? Car? Dog? And so these things continue. They're not going to walk out in the road. It's a problem. I think we need to, to think about whether this is this has worked or whether this needs to be reconsidered a bit like the whole smart motorways thing and we're not going to start talking about that again don't worry (laughs) no i think there's uh yeah the uh maybe make a a pun in slight bad taste but not seeing things from everyone's point of view uh it sounds like a very good idea to give priority to certain groups but yeah if you know it takes years and years and years to train a guide dog doesn't it so you can't just tell a dog the highway code you can't make a dog download and read the highway code or purchase it from all good bookshops for 2.99 or whatever it is these days uh probably a bit more than that um they they don't understand and, and yeah i've seen it a few times particularly the the end of the road my parents used to live at uh which sounds odd because we lived there for 24 years and they've just moved so um yeah very weird uh but the uh the pedestrian crossing uh, at the end of their road always really really busy and it's and it's always snarled up and there's everybody parking on double yellows for the fish and chip shop and uh, and this that the other um and there was an old blind chap who uh, used to live around the corner and the number of times you'd, you'd see him stuck there because the dog was just overwhelmed with it all and obviously people not indicating properly again you know dogs don't look at indicators but it waits till the road's particularly clear and uh, and you'd see a car stop and sort of, you know, say to the guy, you're okay to cross, and, and the dog just wouldn't have it. So he used to, you know, if ever I saw him, I'd, uh, I'd help him across, and, and the dog would let me take over to cross the road, and then off he'd toddle again. But I, I think he ended up having to just walk all the way down to the end of the road, cross there because it was quieter, and then walk all the way back up again. So it's, uh, yeah, we're, we're not going to retrain guide dogs overnight. So before too much damage is done in terms of, uh, deaths or serious injuries, uh, which, which is going to happen the way the rules are. I mean, the the cyclist priority over cars. I I've seen some information that that seems to indicate that cyclists have priority at roundabouts, and the way that's been interpreted is, oh well, if a cyclist wants to enter a roundabout, well he has priority at the roundabout. So what is a car supposed to stop on a roundabout to give way to a cyclist? No, they're not. They're just but you know the the rules are pay more attention to them and give them give them room and if a cyclist is going all the way round around about allow them to be in the left hand lane and go all the way round but the the interpretation of it uh, or the the misinformation i think is probably more dangerous having said yes. that there was a, a little old deer in a say out this morning i saw that went straight onto the roundabout pulled out in front of somebody 
enter the roundabout on the left-hand lane and on a roundabout that has four exits I saw that they took the sixth exit so they just went all the way around the roundabout to go straight on again but in the right-hand lane and nearly crashed into six people on one roundabout one of which was me and she nearly crashed into the same person twice on one roundabout <laughs> so that's I, that's unfortunate <laughs> i uh, i don't think uh, any, any amount of, uh, of revisions to the highway code are going to help cases like that so just maybe more of a uh, you know look where you're going and do we have too many safety systems on cars you know should we go should we get rid of seat belts and go back put a big spike on everyone's steering wheel and then it's a uh, you know performance by commitment something like that if you get it wrong it's really going to hurt so don't get it wrong Mm. I think there are a lot of issues still to be unpacked around the highway code, but uh, to reiterate what I said a few moments ago, uh, there's an awful lot of crap being uh, in some of the newspapers, both before and post the event. But the the ministry haven't exactly helped their case by uh, failing to uh, publicise early enough, and uh, the book is not even out yet. You know the rules apply. But you can't read the rules because the books aren't being published till I think the third week of April. That's just madness. Well, it it sounds like certain auto manufacturers applying retrospective rules to things. Um, on the note of automotive uh, manufacturers, did anyone spot that uh, Rivian, who make that awesome truck, the one that has the kitchen that slides out the side and all the loading pods in the middle and everything else, is pretty cool well worth a google if you haven't seen the rivian truck but the government's given some money this is british government to rivian to build a factory in somerset i don't necessarily think of somerset and industry together um particularly as they always try to send us to the midlands i think and north but why not i mean this is this is a cool truck i quite like the idea of having those in the uk i reckon they're gonna build about a hundred thousand of them well let hundred thousand delivery vans by 2030 anyway is Sean DeLorean involved by any chance? No, it did sound a bit DeLorean. I, <laughs> it does sound about this like one thought, of his um, efforts. It does. It sounds a bit Thatcher, DeLorean, everything else that uh, that goes with it. But there you go. I, I'm not sure there's a, a war raging in Somerset at the moment. I think people down there are a little bit too chilled. My, my brother, he went um, to uni at, at Exeter and then lived in Dorset. and It's, it's all very nice down there. Really my sister pleasant. went to uni in Exeter. Ah, it's all very, very pleasant indeed. But he did say the problem is if if the West Country dropped off of the UK, it almost wouldn't make too enough of a difference to the rest of the UK because it seems to be so detached from everything. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure most of the rest of the UK would notice, to be fair. All those second homers would bankrupt the uh, insurance companies by claiming for their second homes that had fallen into the sea. The West Country does has, has so much to offer. I mean, if you haven't experienced the Dorset Knob Throwing Festival, you haven't lived. Um, it, it's a great part of the world. It really is a great part of the world. That is, a, Everyone's looking as if to say, what are you talking about? It is a thing. Google it. Actually, no, maybe don't Google it. Dorset knobs are like a little small, imagine like a profiterole-sized roll, which you can have with butter. Very, very tasty. But anyway, you, there's a whole a whole seasonal event that, uh, that, that goes around the Dorset Knob Throwing Festival, um, which has a great name, if nothing else. Think about the wonderful things we get out of the West Country, and soon there could be an electric truck too. This is turning into a baking show. I was going to say, I think we've gone slightly off topic there, but uh, what else is Half-baked. <laughs> Talking of uh, the UK car industry, I mean, yeah, there's uh, some investment going towards Rivian, a bit like uh, Nissan 
the building the leaf in Sunderland, but slightly more homegrown talent. We have uh, following the Tesla model of uh, spend a load of money research and development on a really expensive car and then use the learnings out of that to make the next one cheaper. Uh, Gordon Murray, who we talk uh, quite a bit about on this podcast, has, has brought out his more affordable supercar, hasn't he? I mean, well, I mean, it's all it's all relative terms, uh, as it's uh, it, it is about a million euros, pounds, dollars, whatever it is, cheaper. I think it's one point three three million, if memory serves. Something like that, isn't it? Uh, I mean, it's it's probably slightly pointless talking about it, because if uh, if you're listening to this and just hearing this as breaking news, and you're getting very excited that there's a a more affordable version of the T fifty out that they are already sold out, which is. Uh, which is a little bit annoying if uh, if you were just saving up and thinking oh just just another 1.39 million to go and then I'll be there uh, you have uh, you have slightly missed the boat but it's uh, it's a very very pretty thing isn't it and a slightly really good uh, it's i don't want to say softer but just a slightly more formed version of of the T50 I suppose if if that's the way is it? I'm not sure refined is is the well, right word but just smoother and more sculpted I think I think it looks somehow it looks a lot more modern because the T50 it, it has a lot of the look of the McLaren F1 about it and that is driven by the fact it's a three seater which means the cockpit has to be further forward which means the front end has to be a certain sort of shape and all the rest of it and obviously it's got the huge fan on the back. I think the T33 is a lot prettier. Uh, it's a very nice looking thing with swoopy, swoopy front wings. Everything's all functional and there's not a huge amount of aero. So it, it plastered all over the car. It's all built into the underside through the front splitter and and, and sort of the uh, the rear diffuser. It, it's a very good looking thing. I mean, it, just in case you're wondering, by the way, what this rustling noise is. Um, I have just... Um, gone to my wallet and pulled out two scratch cards in the hopes there might be enough in there to to buy me something similar um we'll see in a minute i'm just gonna just gonna get a coin out of my pocket i'm gonna have a little bit of i think the is it i think i prefer the front end of the t50 but i think i prefer the back end of the t33 i think i think i I prefer the t33 all round yeah, the 33, yeah. I think, is definitely a prettier car. The oh, what a quid. Fif- the 50 is a more, uh, far more aggressive design, I think. I, I think so. I, it, certainly, it's a more purposeful car, isn't it? It's designed for speed and, and obviously the... Well, it's designed to be what it is, that, that, you know, a, a fan car. It's, it, its form is driven by its function, I think. But with the, the T33, it's just... It's, it's pretty and has the function. And for me, if they were both the same money and I had the means to be able to afford either of them, I think the 33 is the one that I would buy because I think it would be, A, I think it's most pretty. B, I think it would probably be the most forgiving on the road. It uses regular Michelin Pilot Sport 4S tyres. I think they're 4Ss, but certainly Pilot 4s, which um, I've had on, on a couple of my cars have been absolutely superb. It uses, it's, it's a, a reasonable size all round. Um, you can put six cases in it if you wanted to because the rear wings fold open almost a bit of a a gull wing style i think in the way that the, the rear wings open up or dihedral i'm not quite sure what the correct term is but nevertheless you can drop your suitcases in through the top so you can actually use it as a car it has near enough as much storage as a fiesta <laughs> boot wise which i think is quite quite impressive around yes i saw um, this the the literage kind of, of space that he's managed to uh, to package into it is is something yeah quite phenomenal isn't it it really is i mean he's driven by a lot of different um 
requirements for design, isn't it, in terms of its function, its lightness, the way that it drives, but also it has to be practical. And he was saying that, you know, relatively speaking, for this type of car, it's cheap to run because it's hugely economical. I think they're getting something like 27 to the gallon out of it, which is, which is mad considering the engine. This is a, a Cosworth-derived V12 engine, which sounds incredible. We've seen it in the T50 at Goodwood, and oh my God, it sounds like an old-school Formula 1 car. really does sound, does sound incredible. It's, it's probably about as good as you're going to get out of a, a car, probably from now until the end of internal combustion <laughs> engine production in 2030. It is, it is something else. It, yeah, it's just a, it's just a, a beautiful thing. It's just nicely proportioned. There's not a lot out there. We were talking on WhatsApp about whether or not there's anything that's affordable to mere mortals like us. There's not a huge amount out there, really, is there? I mean, you've got the likes of the LPD 110, which is a little bit of the style, I think. Very good-looking motor car. Oh, and as you know, I'm a huge fan of that car. Otherwise, it's probably the little Wells, isn't it? That's the everyman equivalent. And by everyman, I mean sub-40k. <laughs> so maybe not every man, but still, possibly within within grip of first mere mortals. Well, I think we've have, have we reached the end of the the affordable sports car, fun car. You know, if if it doesn't suit uh, mass production, just with developmental costs, and uh, you know, he's only making a hundred T thirty threes and he's sold. But if they're one point three million each. Well, if you look at the materials and the production costs, it kind of gives you a hint as to uh, the research and development costs, and that was uh, was almost an easier thing because of the tech that had come out of the T fifty. Um, it I think it highlights how expensive cars are to design and build these days, and that uh, lots of exquisite and expensive and exotic materials have gone into it. But the engine is is fairly basic in terms of you know, it's a mechanical unit, there's no electrification whatsoever, compared to the way the big manufacturers have had to go with EVs, and, and hence the reason for platform sharing. But if if you're only going to sell, you know, if you look at, let's say, the Mondeo sales figures over the last couple of years, well, if Ford were going to research, design, develop, and build an all-new Mondeo, I think it would have to have a price tag of in excess of £100,000 to be able to pay back the, the research and development mm. costs. Uh, or was it Ford famously spent, was it a billion dollars developing the EcoBoost engine? So the number of cars they've had to hoink that into to try and get a few dollars back on each engine to cover the development costs, it, it just pushes things like uh, an MX-5, dare I say it, f- further and further away from reality or sensibility when you look at how much money you need to spend on it, especially if you need to electrify it. Uh, yes, of course, the... the... The material costs of anything electric are, are ridiculous because the batteries are expensive apart from anything else. Um, there's a lot to develop, as you say, but to actually build the things is expensive. So again, the sort of cheap, lightweight, everyman sports cars, it's going to be difficult to do, I think, going forward until batteries get lighter anyway and cheaper. I do wonder, actually, though, does given the, uh, the new hierarchy of the highway code, just to link back to that, does being in a T33 give you priority over somebody in let's say a Mondeo because you are lighter and therefore more vulnerable supposedly in which case are some manufacturers missing a trick here you know if, if you can make your road car less than a thousand kilos would that give you priority in the ability to use bus lanes and cycle lanes maybe there's there's a hook they could go for maybe we should go for the naval thing might is right if you're big then then you have priority 
because it's hard if you pretty much yeah i think that that's definitely an old school rule there are there are rules about giving way at give way lines give way to the right give way to the car going uphill give way to the car that can stay on his side of the road or her side of the road etc but if if in doubt if he's bigger than you then he has right away which is entirely sensible I used to know a car dealer not very far from here who owned a, a light tank. And he did say that one of the things that um, he found, I mean, he just used to take it a weekend to drive it for fun. Nobody ever contested his space on the road, you know, because A, he might just have been armed, but also he was big, solid, and you were going to come off worst, whatever contratone you had with him. So he was saying that if he if he drove that off the forecourt, it was like a parting of the waves. People would get out of the way. I bet people were more careful too with right. their doors as too well, right. weren't they? When they oh, parked in the car park. Yeah, I was going, dunk. Oh, no, they creased the door. It's in, it's in half. When you say tank, I assume he was a Volvo dealer. <laughs> it was, actually. Yes, that's true. I'm going back a year or two. But yes, was, it, it was. was it just for... Uh... <laughs> for negotiations with his vehicle manufacturer because actually a tank might come in handy any minute now might it? it might be a, a useful bargaining chip no he had a he had a garden full of militaria he was just really into that but um he had a very big compound at the rear uh, of the dealership and uh, he sort of filled it up Did with he stuff, that he, stuff that he couldn't get in his garden there's someone not far from here uh about four or five about half a mile four or five roads away and they've got an, an armoured Land Rover, one of the ones that has a little slot to look through rather than having the full windscreen. And I think that probably says, it's not because I, I, I suspect he's a fan of military. I think it's just the area that he lives in. Um, <laughs> there's this one notorious road down there. I think it's probably the only safe car you can park down there and uh, and not have to worry. Uh, I guess people might maybe will use the little flap that's in the windscreen to, to post stuff through. But I think it's incredible that that gets used. It's parked on the road, so I can only assume it does get used. What what a thing to drive around in! I, I like the idea of a, an armoured personnel carrier or a light tank or something. I think it would be great fun. I think it'd be really awkward when you just decided to parallel park it somewhere, you know, picking the kids up for nursery or something. What a great way to be able to do it, just reverse over the SUV behind you. Very awkward. They do parking sensors on tanks. I would imagine so. I know that the proper tanks have all got tea making facilities since World War One. Which, mm-hmm. which I, I love, which isn't, isn't a joke. This is genuinely true. Yeah, they true. all do it's have the, the, the capacity to make tea. And I found this out from, a, from an actual tank commander. I said, I said you are joking. He goes, no, no, it's, it's true. Because if you get stuck in there, you need to be able to, you know, to make tea. It's a fair, fair point. Very good point. You could have asked Murray the, uh, to clarify that because that's uh, what he was during the war, wasn't it? He was a tank commander in the rush to Berlin. I like the idea of hearing his voice coming across uh, with commands. <laughs> just a radio, radio communication, just narrating what's going on. They're covering some serious ground here. Where do you think the trousers on fire remark came from? <laughs> Based on fact. And now that with our trousers on fire, I guess it's probably time for us to say goodbye. It's been lovely talking to you again, and we hope you'll join us next time. By all means, have a look and see what's going on on our socials and across YouTube. We are at UK Most Talk Everywhere. And in the meantime, thanks for listening. Good night. Talk to you all later. Take care. And good night from me. And uh, stay safe. UK Motor Talk, a first take media production.